I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, Film Chat listeners. Katie here. This is just a quick disclaimer to say that before this week's recording session, me and the boys might have drunk a significant amount of wine. You might be able to tell. So you've been warned. On with the show. Hello and welcome to Film Chat. Here's what it's about. In 1967, mine workers discovered the first remnants of a long-lost Native American civilization, the Abkhani. The Abkhani believe that there are two worlds on this planet, a world of light and a world of darkness. 10,000 years ago, the Abkhani opened a gate between these two worlds. Before they could close it, something evil slipped through. The Abkhani mysteriously vanished from the earth. Only a few artifacts remained, hidden in the world's most remote places. These artifacts speak of terrifying creatures that thrive in the darkness, waiting for the day when the gate can be opened again. Bureau 713, the government's paranormal research agency, was established to uncover the dark secrets of this lost civilization. Under the direction of archaeologist Lionel Hudgens, Bureau 713 began collecting Abkhani artifacts. When the government shut down his controversial research, Hudgens built a laboratory hidden within an abandoned gold mine. There he conducted savage experiments on orphaned children in an attempt to merge man with creature. Hudgens' victims survived as sleepers, lost souls awaiting the moment of their calling. Wait, what the fuck am I talking about? What the what? Sorry. Oh no, I've got myself mixed up and I just launched into a long monologue which opens the Uwe Boll film Alone in the Dark from right. 2005. Mm. I shouldn't have left that written out right next to my film chat notes. I apologize. I meant to say, this is what it's about. Two men talking about and reviewing films. I'm Sam Foster and joining me, someone who has never attempted to merge man with creature, Danny Moran. On this week, we tackle Hail Caesar, the latest film from the Coen brothers, in which George Clooney plays a movie star who's kidnapped while filming a Roman epic called... Uh, uh, the name escapes me. Then I give a slightly belated review to the indie hit Tangerine about two transgender prostitutes on Christmas Eve. The film was shot on iPhones, I downloaded it on iTunes, and I watched it on my iMac. Apple, if you're listening, please sponsor us. We need the money. We also chat about the news that Will Smith has signed a deal with Netflix in a desperate attempt to seem something close to resembling relevant, and discuss the surprising announcement that they're turning the act of killing and the look of silence into a musical, which will feature songs such as I had to drink the blood so I wouldn't go mad, and hey, I know you, I massacred your entire family. No, wait, sorry, I've misread that. Uh, the director of the act of killing and the look of silence is making a musical, but is completely unrelated to Indonesian genocide. My bad. All of this should give me enough time to perform my latest impression. Ben Affleck doing his Batman voice, 
but saying his lines from Daredevil as his character from Jiggly. Oh my goodness. You killed the only two people I ever loved. Why? <laughs> wow. And you chose the best line to showcase that. Yeah. Could you you could tell him that was his Jiggly character though, right? Absolutely, yes. McQueen, who generates a lot of uh, material for us by writing in, which is quite nice of him. He says, following on from Hail Caesar, what are your favourite films within films? And can you answer this question in five different films, film genres? Love you, XXVII. So he starts out kissing us at the end and then turns it into Roman numerals, pivots. Genius. Thrilling. Um, Danny, what are your top picks? Are the movies within movies? I think my favourite one is... Good Will Hunting 2 from Jay and uh, Silent Bob Strike Back. Yeah. Which I think is probably funnier than the actual film itself, which but mainly because Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and the guy from the original scene is the, <laughs> is in the... Um, it's space. super meta. Also, I don't know if many people have seen this movie, so this it's, might require some explanation. Well, the famous scene from Good Will Hunting is when there's the snooty Harvard guy who's being mean to Ben Affleck, and then Matt Damon's like, I'm smarter than you when I learned it all from the library. And then he gets uh, Minnie Driver's Number. numbers, and he's like, how do like, damn apples... And yeah. shows him the number. And uh, in Good Will Hunting 2, Hunting Season, the same thing happens, but the snooty Harvard guy outsmarts him, so Matt Damon shoots him in the chest with a shotgun. I also like Chubby Rain from Bowfinger. What's Just, it about? You haven't seen Bowfinger? I haven't, actually. I mean, but what is Chubby... <laughs> Katie, Katie didn't like that. <laughs> well, what... the plot, basically, Steve Martin is making a film starring Eddie Murphy about Eddie Murphy realising is the plot. And it's like, the op- you just see bits of the film... About there's like this alien invasion, but there's like an opening voice of it that like that dead rained, but no one knew it was chubby. Rain. <laughs> Just because chubby rain is hilarious. It is a funny phrase. This is a easy question for us to answer in some ways because in our recent film quiz, we did films within films as one of the rounds, and one of them was chubby rain because there's a great poster of it. It's kind of how you'd imagine from that description you just gave. It's like uh, some kind of spooky scene with cars and lightning and rain and then like a giant raindrop and Eddie Murphy's face inside it. It's brilliant. It looks pretty good. Also worth highlighting the fake trailers in the middle of Grindhouse. There's a lot of um, movies within, I, I don't know, is that within or just next to? Does that like technically not count? I don't know. Wait, how, wait, how are we doing for genres? What was your one? What was your first one again? Um, Good Will Hunting uh, two. 2 That's a comedy Wait Chubby Rain Shit that's a That's, a that's also a comedy Well oh I see Sci-fi Is it the film within the film That's the genre So you've got yeah. action And then sci-fi, sci-fi. And then um, Werewolf Women of the SS Was that That's one of the movies horror? In the Grindhouse I guess that's a horror So um, Singing Cavalier Is a romance The Dueling Cavalier No then he becomes The Singing Cavalier Oh right for, Because of sound Yes Yes <laughs> <laughs> It's just because I'm looking at the poster and it says Julian. Yeah, from Singing in the Rain. 
another one from our round is uh, America's Sweethearts with John Cusack and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And they make a lot of rom-coms together in that movie. So there we go. That's a whole new... Wait, does that count? Dune Cavalier? It's not rom-com, is it? Musical. It's not a rom-com, is it? It's musical. Yeah. It's not musical. a rom-com, is it? It's not a rom-com. I wouldn't describe <laughs> a movie <laughs> that, is that old. Be your catchphrase from now on. <laughs> it's, not, <laughs> it's not a rom-com, is it? I think my catchphrase <laughs> is just, is it? Is it? <laughs> Whatever the film is, you just sign off with, it's not a rom-com, is it? <laughs> now, I think that... My thing should be to say a negative statement and then put is it at the end as though anyone who would believe that would be a fool. Because it's I sound knowledgeable or I sound like someone who thinks he is knowledgeable, which is almost the same. The TV and, you know, radio is full of douchebags. I'm like a character from an Aaron Sorkin movie. Yeah. Yeah. The, his movies aren't very good. Oh, wait, that doesn't work. Um, let me work on that. Newsroom isn't a very good TV show, is it? <laughs> I know I wasn't very quick on it, but... I'm still. I only just came up with that idea, so I'm still working on it. <laughs> it's great. It's great. <laughs> so, um, thanks a lot for writing in, Dougal. That was cheers. a lot of fun. I imagine that's the kind of answer that you wanted. Or is it? <laughs> <laughs> um, tiny bit more correspondence. Callum Russell, my hero. Bless his heart. Bless his heart. Was the only person who answer my call for the favorite dance scenes from non-dance movies he suggested oscar isaac's dancing and ex machina was great simultaneously creepy sexy and hilarious and that's oscar isaac isn't it in a nutshell yeah he can be creepy and sexy got range yeah and he's got a clearly got a quite a good sense of humor yeah i feel like he's played a lot of different roles and they each you know they're just teasing out one of those three aspects of his personality absolutely except maybe in drive he doesn't get to do a lot. Not in drive. When he's at Apocalypse in X-Men Apocalypse, I'm hoping that he's really maxed out on creepy, sexy, and hilarious. Well, he's pretty bloody sexy in the trailer. <laughs> he's like the sort of purple man covered in makeup. When, when he said, from the ashes of this world, we'll build a new one. I was like, I had a semi. I had a semi. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's like, oh, God, he's so... Oh, Isaac. Yeah, he's hot. And he's probably going to be doing a lot of quips. Yeah. Like Apocalypse quips. I want to. See, I hope there's a bit where he takes off his huge metal like gown, and you just see his like naked blue body. He's just naked. Yeah. Yeah, and then he says something funny, and then you see and his kill. bum or something. This is stop it! This is ridiculous. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, anyway, that sounds nice. Thank you, Callum. Thank you, Callum. You win. Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. Will Smith is a megastar whose megastar is waning. He just made Concussion, and it didn't set the Oscars on fire the way he hoped it would. Yeah. Um, leading him to boycott an event he probably wouldn't was not invited to because he didn't get a nomination. Yeah, um, I'm always I'm always boycotting the Oscars. <laughs> Me too. It's up, until they get some diversity in there, I'm boycotting every year. Um, and yeah, he hasn't has he had a mega smash lately? Maybe not. No, he's no kind of banking on Suicide Squad. Yeah, um, but, but that that itself is interesting because he's not the lead, right? Yeah, when's the last time he shared a credit? You know, well, one of the um, phenomenons lately, you know, over the past however long in movies has been the um, waning ability of stars to attract audiences. And Hail Caesar is a case in point, which we'll talk about later, which has got basically every star in the world in it, but has, you know, bombed to the top bit. And you can't just, people won't see your movie just because, like, Tom Cruise is in it or whoever. 
and Will Smith mainly makes star vehicles. So uh, it's an issue for him. So he is adapting, he's changing with the times, he's making himself anew, he's taken some advice from his insane philosophical children, and he's made a deal with Netflix, who will be um, opening their wallet to the tune of 100 million. So it's a proper Netflix blockbuster, Whoa. which they uh, have not yet done. They've been easing themselves into movies with um, Beasts of No Nation and The Ridiculous Six. And they've they've uh, they've got a deal with Adam Sandler, right, to make series yeah. of more awful comedies. They've made a war torn African drama and one of the worst reviewed films of the year <laughs> about an overpaid comedian doing some you know horse jokes. Or something. Yeah, but who even knows if it's they're successful or not because they don't sell them. You know, they just go out to people who have the Netflix subscription. Sure, yeah. It's an odd business model in a way because you think at a certain point all the people who are going to have Netflix have Netflix. So what do you get when you spend a hundred million making one movie? Um, although perhaps because this one is going to be, you know, such an expense, they will, they will release it in cinemas because uh, you've got to get that shit out there. You can't have this like giant film that people are going to watch on their laptop. It really makes absolutely no sense. So the director of this movie is going to be David Ayer, uh, which is means that Will Smith will be reuniting with the Suicide Squad director, which is that man. Um, he also made End of Watch with Jake Gyllenhaal and yeah. Fury, that tank film with um, Brad Pitt. And it's based on a script by Max Landis, the exciting, hot, young dude who seems to have about eight scripts on the go at any one time, tweets constantly. Angry nerd. He's sort of angry nerd man. And the plot, as far as we know, is a supernatural cop thriller, and it's set in a sort of version of, you know, the modern world. I don't know if it's set in, like, exactly the present day, but, you know, it's not, like, um, a fantasy world. But there are fantasy monsters in it. So there's orcs and fairies, goblins and cops. Right. So, whoa. Wow. Wow. What do you think, Danny? Going to be good? Well, the thing is about Max Landis, I quite enjoy him on Twitter, and I often think he's got quite smart takes on stuff. He's, a, he's you know, someone who takes genre films incredibly seriously and, like, analyzes them to death. Yeah. But he wrote Chronicle, which is a really good movie, and he wrote Victor Frankenstein and American Ultra, which were two of the worst-reviewed films of last year. So uh, I have no idea how talented he is. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I don't know, that's pretty weird. That sounds like a weird movie. It does. It sounds like an odd premise, but, uh, it's certainly interesting. It's like an interesting thing. David Ayer is quite an interesting director. Do you think it's a bit Men in Black? Like, Will Smith's, like... Like, fantasy stuff in the modern age. I had a huge hit, like, 20 years ago with this movie, when there was, like, weird shit and cops. Do you think we could do that again? Maybe. It doesn't <laughs> sound like the tone will be the same. Well, maybe it will. I mean, yeah. who knows? Yeah. If it is Men in Black again, if it's that bar of quality, then by all means. Well, I don't know. End of Watch is a sort of like half good movie. There's some very poorly written Latino characters in it, which are like just racist. Oh, yeah? Yeah. So I don't know about Maybe he'll be better at orcs and fairies than he is at Latinos. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I would. Or Hispanics. If you want someone to do like a sort of race related cop drama, you know. The previous cop drama he made is like kind of racist. So, oh, <laughs> <laughs> in that like, there's not the characters are very unnuanced. This is a bit of end of watch review, but like the two main protagonists were like quite well rounded, but then the antagonists were just like crazy drugged up. Hey, look, I got you know tattooed shotguns rolling around in like a you know Benz or whatever. And yeah, like, yeah. I didn't really have time to write those characters. I was too busy writing Jake. There's character. a lot of examples like that out there. Yeah. in cinema. Yeah, um, but maybe. He'll be better at writing orcs. Who knows? Wait a second. Max Landis wrote the script. What am I talking about? Why didn't you stop me? Why didn't you stop me when I was going on? Wait, what are you talking about? about? Max Landis wrote the script for what? He didn't write the script for End of Watch. I was talking about how badly they were written. End of Watch. Oh, David Ayer wrote that. 
this has got nothing to do. Why don't you let me talk for like five minutes? I sound like an idiot. Why don't you stop me? Well, I just, you know, I just... David Ayer, he's David a, Ayer. He also wrote Training Day. It's okay. Don't worry, Danny. It's okay. I <sighs> think that David Ayer has rewritten the Bright script. Yeah. So I think he will may have a co-writing credit because Matt Sanders was tweeting about how David Ayer has rewritten okay. his script. So he might have made it racist, so don't worry. Yeah. Anyway, good luck to everyone involved in making that. <laughs> we like to bless the projects that we investigate Best in the news luck. section. So Best of luck. Good luck. Good luck. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. To them. So one of Film Chat's fave films from last year was The Look of Silence. Yeah. Which was the documentary uh, follow-up to The Act of Killing, both of which dealt with the Indonesian genocides from about 50 years ago. And the director of that film, Joshua Oppenheimer, has taken a massive, crazy left turn in his uh, output, and he's going to make a musical. Not any musical, a really weird-sounding musical. <laughs> it's based on Samuel Beckett's uh, play, Happy Days, and the play pivots around a woman who's buried up to her waist and follows her through the day with her husband. That's a great description. What website is this on? Uh, IndieWire. IndieWire. I love, I mean, I don't know that play because I'm too much of an ignoramus. But just that basic description of the plot, I feel like cannot capture it. Yeah. Okay, so it follows her throughout the day as she's buried up to her waist. And there's a lot of songs to be Apparently to come out so, of that scenario. Apparently, he's going to draw influence from the classic The Umbrellas of Shiborg. You know? The Umbrellas mm. of Shiborg? No, I don't. I don't know it. Me neither. Let's just ignore it. Uh, Oppenheimer... We're ignorant, and we haven't researched this item. Has like said... Fools. About the uh, adaptation, there are no good or bad characters, and the tragedy emerges from the interaction of people. So it's a tragic musical. So he's still in the realm of upsetting material. Yeah, he was like I've journeyed to the very darkest corners of the human psyche for my two documentaries, and I love it there. But <laughs> I just want to change the medium a little bit. Yeah, I mean, switch it's, genres. He's a pretty fascinating guy. Like, like he's made two amazing films. Maybe, he'll, maybe he can just make an amazing well musical as well. Uh, when I was reading this earlier, it says that he's got another documentary project lines up that he doesn't want to talk about because... He could act without notoriety before, but it, now is Exactly. I said, like, before when he was making his Indonesian movies, no one knew who the hell he was, but now they do. And in order to try to preserve as much as possible of that anonymity, he's not talking about his project whatsoever. So this musical thing might take a little while to come to fruition. So they have plenty of time to dig the pit in the floor the woman will be buried in yeah. for him to, like, perfect all the... I hope he writes the songs himself. That would be really <laughs> exciting. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. So it's just, there's something cool about, because he is a kind of a new voice in the cinema world and both of his movies have dealt with the same topic. So it's just exciting to see what he does next because he's obviously a very, very smart man. And those, The Look of Silence was such a powerful film and not just powerful because of the subject matter, but because it was so incredibly well made. So it's just fascinating to see what is going to, you know, what's going to come out of this guy's incredible brain. Absolutely. And I'd say that musicals are probably one of my least favorite genres. So I'm excited by someone doing something different with it. Yeah. That's why I don't like musicals and I don't like biopics in the way that they're kind of the same. I don't think so. I don't think they're this. I think like 
biopics are very formulaic and they kind of a lot of them rely on the same dramatic tricks to keep you interested whereas at least with musicals there's something more pure about a song you know as opposed to like seeing the same dramatic twist over and over again like you can have the same song that has the same function but yeah, there but can be great versions i feel like song. how can i put it it's like the story is fit is fitting the mold like people just you just have to sing every five minutes you have to contrive things there has to be songs regardless of whether it's germane to the otherwise it's just not a musical is it well you know what i mean like there's got to be a x amount of songs in this two hours and they've got to appear yeah but if the songs are great songs then you know just not a fan it's just like it's just filmed theater i think they never really i don't know s- that's a know. debate debate for another day perhaps when this movie comes out yeah and I'm it'll be like it's just cut out the songs and it would have been a masterpiece but maybe it's bullshit oppenheimer exactly <laughs> yeah i agree <laughs> not just saying stuff now yes more wine more wine <laughs> more wine i think you should just do like slightly slurrier versions of all your jingles <laughs> my favorite song is british badger <laughs> she's a queen but she wants to be in radio my favorite film stars Bridget Bardot. She's the queen, but she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends, and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. Tangerine. This came out a while ago. It was a huge hit in 2015. It was on a bunch of best of 2015 lists. Mm. But will it be on my best of 2015 list? Obviously not, because we've already written that. But if I had a time machine, would I put it on that list? That's a good question, Danny. I'll tell you in about a minute. Um, so this is written and directed by Sean Baker and co-written by Chris Burgo. That might not be how I pronounce his name, but that's how I'm choosing to pronounce it. And so the plot is, it's set in Los Angeles on Christmas Eve, and it's mainly about these um, two transgender prostitutes called Cindy and Alexandra. Cindy has just got out of jail after serving a 28-day sentence uh, for possession. And when Alexandra tells her that Cindy's pimp boyfriend Chester has been cheating on her. Cindy sets out to find the woman who has stolen her man and confront Chester. Meanwhile, an Armenian cab driver called Razmik goes about his day encountering various colourful characters and the film is basically a day in the life with all these three characters interacting at certain points. Cool. Here is a clip of uh, Alexandra trying to calm down Cindy after she's gone on the rampage following the revelation of her boyfriend's infidelity. Girl, wait, wait, wait. I cannot do this. I cannot do this. It's too much drama. You guys just come out here, give me all this information, and have me go handle it by myself. You're the one to me anyway. Okay, 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 okay. I will go with you under one condition. You must promise me that there's not going to be any drama. Because as soon as there's some drama, I'm out of there. I promise. I promise. Look at me in my eyes and promise. I promise no drama, Alexandra. Come on. Woof, woof. So, far be it for me to agree with the bloody critics, but uh, this movie's great. <laughs> I loved it. Relief. Good. Uh, the big news story about it when it was playing at festivals was that it was shot on iPhones and uh, all the post-production was done on like high street brand software you can just buy in the stores. And it's a real testament to how well the movie's put together and how strong the story is, is that you don't notice that at all. And to the point that you wouldn't know unless someone pointed it out. And when you do know it's shot on iPhones, it's even more impressive. That's, that is kind of amazing. I, my first thought of that is that obviously they, they have good you know, quality lenses on iPhones and stuff like that, but you think it'd be shaky. Yeah, I, in, I, I think they invested in like anamorphic lenses and they jerry-rigged some sort oh, of so steady cam a thing. thing. Okay. But it is a bit sort of homemade. So... First and foremost, it's a really examination of uh, a place, an entire 
quote unquote underground culture which everyone knows about and so it's kind of interesting that it's shot around hollywood and they go up sunset boulevard where all these premiers are and there's just prostitutes everywhere and it's a part of the landscape but there's never really been any films about it and i recently watched an interview with tilda swinton because i'd like to google tilda swinton in my spare time of course don't ask me any questions <laughs> and she talked about she was mates with uh, michael powell the legendary director of black narcissus and all those powell pressburger movies and he made this point that if a film creates or successfully recreates a world and you believe in it, it has succeeded. And that's like the base level of a film succeeding or not. And I was like, that is a smart point. And I'm going to apply that to future films. And this movie does that. And it feels really authentic. The direction is uh, really, really good. Really, really good. Excellent <laughs> And um, a lot of... You're a critic. Uh, <laughs> Professional critic. Uh, a lot of reviews of made links with like French New Wave movies and it's got that sort of real zip to it but it hasn't got the same sort of quasi-philosophical bullshit which drags those films down it's more just like the pace is really really engrossing but it doesn't uh, it's not afraid to like slow down when these two it's not like moving at 100 miles whatsoever and it's impressive how successfully the film switches tones and pace without like losing you at any one point and it's not afraid to just hold a shot and let the actors do the work you know it's very confident um, so like a film, the subject matter could easily be quite depressing because it's quite a seedy world of like sex working and trafficking. Could be and, a bit like kitchen sink. Yeah, exactly. But it's really um, consistently hilarious. And it's partly because the characters are really witty, as you heard from that clip. It's like a lot of, got a lot of sass in it. But it's also sets up these really funny bits of situational comedy. And narratively, it's kind of closest to a farce. It's like an... Um, because you, the audience, are following all these characters, it kind of sets up these conflicts. So the moment Cindy hears about this other woman, you know, at some point she's going to meet up with her and then at some point meet up with her boyfriend. And it like it's very clever how it feels so authentic and it's like, you know, ripped from the streets. But looking back on it, it's very intricately plotted and certain, you know, character beats pay off in ways which felt, you know, just like thrown away, but it's actually like loaded with meaning. That's great, yeah. But, um... The real um, reason that it's so great is that the performances are brilliant. The two transgender actresses, Katana Kiki Rodriguez, who plays Cindy, and Maya Taylor, who plays Alexandra, are like amazing in it. And it was their first films. They're like real-life friends, aren't they? They're real-life friends, and they were both sex workers in real life. And uh, so I guess they're drawing from real experiences. Like um, Katana, who plays Cindy, is a slightly broader character, and she's like the sort of crazy out-of-control woman on a rampage. And Alexandra is, like, sort of like her older sister, and it's quite sweet, their dynamic. But what's so good about the performances is that it's full of, um, uh, like, super sassy and, like, you don't take any shit, but it's always loaded with, like, vulnerability. And it's like their attitude is all they have. Yeah. And, like, if they... They have to be this way, otherwise the world would just push them down further than they already are because they're actually... Um, just these impoverished people who, like, have no other option than to be sex workers. Yeah, and I think why I like it so much is that it's a film that understands that funny and serious aren't opposites, and it's perfectly possible for a film to have, like, emotional weight and tackle an issue and be funny, and the funniness doesn't, the humour of it doesn't cheapen it, but in fact enhances it because it makes it all the more accessible. Yeah, my final point would be that it's a really good Christmas movie in that it's about a sort of weird, messed-up family having all these arguments 
and uh you know reconciling and not and you know some people have terrible Christmases and some people don't so I thought it was very I was very impressed how can fans of film chat watch this film you can buy it or rent it on iTunes or if you have Netflix you can fly to America where it is on American Netflix got it don't trick your computer and the thing is in America. No, that's illegal. A, that's a crime. That's Wrong. one of the worst crimes that's you a, can commit. That's a federal crime. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing we don't live in America because <sighs> they harshly punish people pretending to be there when they aren't. So, cool. That sounds good. I'm relieved to hear that it lives up to the hype. Yeah. And I imagine it's short. Yeah, it's like 90 minutes. Perfect. Love it. Love it. Love it. I spent longer than that watching Man of Steel the other day. And you still haven't finished it. I still haven't finished it. <laughs> barely fucking halfway through. It's insane. <laughs> Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. So the big movie this week is Hail Caesar, which is a new Coen Brothers film. It's always very exciting when a new Coen's movie comes out. Hotly anticipated. It's one they've been talking about making for years and years, and it has finally arrived. Had a very exciting trailer. So Danny and I went to see this the other day. The premise is that it's set in the golden age of Hollywood in the early 50s, and it's a kind of celebration of that era of movie making. And it follows a studio fixer called Eddie Mannix, who's played by Josh Brolin. And he runs about keeping a lid on various brewing scandals and looking after the easily bruised egos of the movie stars. And his biggest problem is that Baird Whitlock, who's a kind of infantile um, moron movie star played by George Clooney, gets kidnapped. And he's taken from the set of their Swords and Sandals biblical epic called Hail Caesar. Um, and Eddie Mannix has to retrieve him. But there's various other things going on as well, and a crowd of recognisable movie star faces are vying for his attention. One of the people who's doing that is a swimming starlet called Deanna Moran, played by Scarlett Johansson, uh, whose wholesome reputation is in danger of being besmirched because she has an out-of-wedlock pregnancy issue going on. And here's a clip of Eddie Mannix um, trying to deal with that particular headache. Any more thoughts about who you might marry? <laughs> I ain't doing that again. I had two marriages. It just cost the studio a lot of money to bust them up. Well, we had to have those annulled. One was to a minor mob figure. Vince was not minor. And Buddy Flynn was a band leader with a long history of narcotic use. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They were both louses. Marrying a third louse ain't gonna do me no good. I've offered you some very suitable clean young men. Pretty boys. Saps and swishes. What, you think if there wasn't a, a good, reliable man, I wouldn't have grabbed him? What about Arn Seslam? He is the father, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. A marriage doesn't have to last forever, but, but Deanna, having a child without a father would present a public relations problem for the studio. The aquatic pictures do very nicely for us. So you go and strap on a fish ass in Mariani Seslin. The pictures do well for all of us, and it's a tribute to you. The public loves you because they know how innocent you are. That's true. Let me see if Arn is open to matrimony. Yeah. You sure he's the father? Yeah, yeah, absolutely he's the father, yes. Pretty sure. So... The Coen's movies tend to like they tend to fall into certain categories of uh, films. Broadly, they have their like very serious movies and their sort of light-hearted, um, fluffy farces. And this is very much in the light-hearted spectrum. It's a bit like Burn After Reading or Oh Brother Where Art Thou, or even The Big Lebowski, uh, which are all movies that feature a huge amount of plot, a lot of ado, 
and they are quite rich in allusions and themes, but dramatically speaking, they're quite slight. They just kind of race along and tons of stuff happens and the movie finishes and you're kind of like, Bleh. yeah. And that's kind of what I was expecting going in. And I laughed and I was entertained throughout the film. And so I would describe it as a success. And pretty much everyone is mocked. They have a very sort of playful mocking approach. And, uh, but not all the mockery is kind of equal. So it's a satire on Hollywood, but of all the satires on Hollywood that there have been, this is probably one of the least pointed in a way. They are very fond um, of that era. And there's a deep and abiding love of those kinds of movies that shine through in the meticulous recreations of all these old pictures that they do. But on the other hand, they don't seem to think that much of communists. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so there's this all this communist stuff that's in the movie for some reason. And those guys, there are all total and utter idiots. Yeah. What did you make of it, Tony? I was slightly disappointed by it. Uh, I have a slight like, lukewarm reaction to it. And it's definitely to do with my expectation of the film. And uh, I love the Coen brothers. And I'd argue they are the greatest directors who have the longest filmography and the best film uh, the longest and best filmography their batting average is the best i would say they're going on 30 years most of their films are either really good or great yeah that's true they're remarkably consistent lady killers is probably the only dud i even like intolerable cruelty yeah i even like that film it's you know it's typically really well crafted uh, roger deakins cinematography is amazing the performances are really good carter bell scores um excellent but I, for me, it wasn't the sum of its parts, and I found it a little frustrating because a lot of time and effort has been expended recreating these 50s movies and movies, and it's like simultaneously a lot of work and kind of pointless. And uh, I, I just felt, it felt a bit like an early draft to me. It's like they made these characters and they test them out in certain scenes and they sort of figured out what happens in the first two bits in the movie, but hadn't developed it much from there. And it wraps up very quickly in a way that felt like they just couldn't be asked to write another 30 pages. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's probably a film I enjoy more on a second time round, maybe. When you know what you're going in for. Yeah. Well, I have a slightly different take on it. I feel like I didn't mind that much that... I mean, there is very little drama in the movie. It's really just a lot of activity, and it's a sort of um, fizz and fluff and nothing. But... I was kind of okay with it. I think part of the reason why it works is that the classic old movies that they're riffing on, these big MGM entertainments, have themselves a lot of big elaborate sequences which are there purely to entertain an audience and don't really add anything. So in this movie, there's a uh, long elaborate sequence, um, like a swimming sequence with Scarlett Johansson in it involving a giant mechanical whale and all this um, synchronized swimming and it's all this like Busby Barkley-like shot from above sort of floral patterns and everything Uh, and it looks incredible but the kind of movies that those sequences appeared in you know originally it there's also not key to the plot you know it's there purely to entertain you and i think that in um paying homage to these movies that is what the cones are doing with their own sequences and uh, i think that applies as well to the kind of long comic interludes like the bit in which rafe finds is trying to teach um Alden Ehrenreich's sort of um, 
Good dumb cowboy. cowboy guy, how to be a suave um, man delivering all the sophisticated dialogue. And that scene goes on for a long time and doesn't really feature that much in the plot. You know, you could mm. kind of cut it out and it wouldn't matter. But I think that the fact of it being not particularly dramatic makes a certain amount of sense. And I think that if it was a movie which had more tension in it, I, that would be like a different kind of film. I think yeah. the lack of tension is part of the point. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure everything that's the film is like deliberate, but I just... I don't know. I think my mileage is maybe a bit lower than most people on just yeah. these random scenes. I feel like the best scenes in the movie are also the most superfluous. These like like fr- like two scenes will live on from the film, and the film itself will be forgotten. I would argue. And I and like maybe I'm I'm sort of you know reviewing the film in my head slightly. But yeah, but like, like I feel like it could be a more coherent film and more uniformly enjoyable, and not just have these peaks but and not sacrifice the, anything. Some of the other Coen's movies, like the same thing is true. I think. A movie like Inside Lewin Davis, which is quite a serious film, that's a movie where you could chop bits out and it would make no difference. Uh, or the the Big Lebowski is full of stuff that you could remove and it would make no difference. You know, and I, I think that part of their approach to uh, making movies is that the stru- they're structurally loose and increasingly so. I think their last few movies have been um, uh, very non traditional in terms of their narrative structure and. Uh, if you were taking a kind of scalpel to them, you could like pare them down a lot. But part of the Cohen's thing is to have these very meticulous clockwork-like beautiful films that look like they lavished um, incredible amounts of care over every second of it, but at the same time are very loose and playful. And yeah, I mean, I found it. I found the movie really funny. Actually, I, I sometimes I feel like I'm not on the same level as the Cohen brothers. Like they they like characters who do wacky accents. I think a little more than I do. But in this film, I thought they were quite on it with like the comedic stuff, and especially in the the recreation scenes. Like I was laughing quite a lot. Like their, their cowboy movie bit is really really funny. Yeah, and uh, there was just a lot that made me laugh, which is kind of what the film was basically trying to do. Sure. So I guess you know I don't think that your point is like illegitimate. I think that if you're kind of not, you know, no, I just feel like the movie set up a a richer experience than it turned out to actually be. I'd mm. say. And like particularly with um, Alden Ehrenreich, who's the highlight as the he's um, really brilliant, the sort of the dumb cowboy. cowboy guy. Yeah, they spend ages setting up his character and then do nothing with him. I don't think it's like he just does the same thing over and over again. And I was like looking forward to like this sort of like, gee, like you know this sort of embodiment of like American virtue. And you imagine maybe a bit Republican, yeah, confronting the communists. Well, they don't even meet each other. Yeah, and like. <laughs> And it's like, I don't know, I feel part of it is like the sort of Coensy thing of like, have you subverted my expectations or have you just, well, or is it just bad? I don't know. I listened, like, to, I listened to some guys talking about this, um, this movie on another podcast. It was like one of the other birth movies, death ones. And they were both saying that they felt like one viewing wasn't enough to talk properly about the movie. And one of the, the things the guy was saying about the Coens movies is that um, you need to sort of watch them once to work out what kind of film this is. And then like... Because the first time through, you're just looking at the movie and being like, what's that guy going to do? Is he going to turn out to be important? You know? Yeah. And you're thinking of it in those terms. And then the second time through, you kind of know what you're seeing. And his example was when he watched The Big Lebowski and there's um, uh, John Turturro's character of the Jesus, yeah. the sort of crazy um, bowling rival yeah. for their bowling team. And the first time he saw that movie, he was like, this guy's nuts. What's going to happen with this character? You know, he's <laughs> like something really important will happen with him. But then nothing happens with him. Yeah. And it turns out the only reason in the movie is because it's funny to have this like Spanish guy licks a bowling ball and is yeah. like threatens to shoot them, whatever. Pull the trigger until it goes click and all that yeah. stuff. 
And so then when you watch the movie a second time, then you're not distracted by that. And I don't know if that's a like veiled criticism of the Coen brothers or not. I would say for me, I was more amused than I found it like laugh out loud funny. And the really funny bits felt like the scenes they wrote first. Mm. I would just say something i was trying to i spent a long time trying to work this movie out because it's one of the things that coens often do is show little they concentrate on little things and they have little repeating motifs and you really feel like they're trying to say something but at the same time they're so playful and impish that you're worried that maybe yeah. the joke is on you yeah, if you yeah, look yeah, exactly. into it too deeply but i felt like the movie was uh playing on the idea of celebrating hollywood as escapism as like the purest form of escapism but it's also totally hollow and founded on lies um and eddie mannix's character is kind of the only guy who's good at his job and all of the movie stars are like children and they act like children like they're barely they cannot cope basically yeah and he looks after them and the studio he kind of represents the studio um and he controls everything and hollywood is like his world and in the movie he is trying to be poached by this guy from Lockheed Martin to move into aviation and uh, so they can like drop bombs and stuff. And he has lunch with that guy in a sort of hellish, like red soaked restaurant. And the guy shows him a picture of an atomic bomb going off. And it's like, <laughs> that's what non Hollywood is, yeah. you know? And it's the because it's like the 50s Cold War and everything. And the world is this terrifying, like deadly place. And so the it's this strange it's very there's something very very coincy about the way that they are celebrating this world but at the same time really holding it up as idiotic like it's full of morons and it is meaningless like the movies that they're making are all terrible you know and the scenes that you see from the films are like empty and ridiculous and all the people involved are fools and uh the communists communist characters are played up to be totally fatuous and absurd uh, but then at the end, the George Clooney speech in the movie has this bit about how we're all equal um, after he's just been um, slapped around by Eddie Mannix and had the hierarchy of the studio drilled into him. Yeah. Uh, and it's this bizarre kind of ironic thing where he's sort of reaffirming the egalitarian principles of the communists, but no one is really paying attention to him because they're just like his acting is so amazing. So no one's really listening to what he's saying. Mm. And I don't know. It's this sort of clash of ideas in a way that is somehow sincere and not at the same time and it's they kind of are like above it all in a way that i almost find annoying and that the the event like when i thought about it too much i was like this is kind of a hollow way of looking at the world you know where it's like nuclear wars out there mindless razzmatazz is in here and everything is kind of meaningless and we're all kind of idiots but i really like mgm musicals i think that was the message of the movie yeah and I can't, I haven't quite come down on it. It's a lot of fun to put on, but I feel like the spirit behind it is maybe a little bit too wry. Yeah, yeah. When Graf heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? And when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? When Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. I've had a couple of Twitch interactions with Max Landis. Really? Yes. The writer of Bright. The Brighter. Uh, the Brighter. Uh, the first one, it was something like that moment when you realise something which has been obvious for years and you think you're a genius. So I tweeted... 
Diagon Alley, diagonally! Exclamation mark. I didn't think I realised that for many years. He liked it. And then... Is that an interaction? Yeah. Or was there more? He liked it. That's an interaction. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And then another time he was tweeting about Star Wars and about, I was like, I can't believe... He thinks Return of the Jedi is the best Star Wars movie. And I was like, that's mental. And I was like, the problem with Return of the Jedi for me is that it's, it's like two acts. It's like they save Han and then they only do what has to happen in the film. Yeah. And then he's tweeted like, see, I think this is the, you know, it's like seven movies worth of like stuff. And it was like, the didn't he jewel. love, he loved the scene with the emperor. Yeah. He was like, you can make 10 films out of just the scene with the emperor. And I was like, no, no. I said something like, but you were probably trembling with delight that he'd got yeah. in touch with you. So I think we're best friends now. Yes. It sounds like you and he have a lot to enjoyably disagree on. Yeah. Yeah. One of the fun things about Max Landis is that he tweets um, bits from his own scripts a lot. He loves to write. I guess he's doing it all the time. When he's not tweeting his, you know, his own scripts, he's writing his scripts to tweet them. And back in August, he tweeted a bit of Bright with the comment, I'm loving writing this fucking script. That's what he said. What was the hashtag? <laughs> hashtag Bright. So that we know what the movie was. <laughs> okay. So he... This film hasn't been cast fully yet, right? No. Just one person's been cast. Will Smith. Will Smith. And I hope that he hasn't been cast as Fogteeth Leader, because that's the part in this. He's got a monologue, basically, in his little bit. Yeah. There might be some heavy-handed racial symbolism in it. You decide. But I'm thinking I'll audition. So I'm going to audition for Fogteeth Leader okay. and send it to Max yeah. and David. So what sort of voice does Fogteeth Leader have? He's a he's I'd described say... as a big, frighteningly pale green orc. I would say like a Scottish accent. What, you mean like... um. Shrek, <laughs> Scottish orc. Yes, I can't do. I can't do Scottish. Well, the orcs in Lord of the Rings are like all Cockney. Yeah, meat's back on the menu, boys. How does an orc know what a menu is? That's a good question. That's a. <laughs> you point that out to me before, and that's a really big flaw. The orc should not know what a menu is. Is there like an orc restaurant somewhere? Somewhere in, in Mordor. Mordor. Yeah. Maybe at the base of that giant tower with a, only an eye at the top. There's yeah. got to be something else in the tower, right? Danny, <laughs> <laughs> can you set the scene? Absolutely. A big, frighteningly pale green orc kneels in front of Jacoby. He smiles. Thank you, Danny. That's great. Just imagine me smiling. And action, Sam. You know, I didn't grow up here. I grew up in Miami. Great orc communities out there. Strong orc communities. We'd have block parties with dwarves, humans. It was fun. I'm not some militant. I wasn't a thug. I was a bus driver. Then I moved to LA. City of angels, right? I see these kids. I see how I've got to change. I see how broken this system you've got out here is. So I adapt. I change. No money. I don't care. No future. I don't care. I change to fit the situation. I have a gun now, but I still want to give back to the community. So, every month, I throw a big house party. Whole neighbourhood's invited. With one rule. No guns, no fights. We had three years of these house parties, man. Wouldn't you know it, on the hottest night of the summer, who's the first one to bring guns and fights up into the house party? The motherfucking police. He sighs, looking down. That's the sigh. Unblooded orc cop, go figure. Probably grew up with humans. Never had a claw raised from in his life. Never did shit. Big old teddy bear. Sweet guy. All your buddies so happy to say that they have an orc friend. Here's your opportunity to give back. 
He speaks in Orkish again, suddenly animalistic. He snarls. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, yeah, your I just... performance was incredible, I Thank say, but thanks, I would man. say that dialogue is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it is a the, terrible speech. It is awful. The whole... I mean, I was reading it. I had no idea what I was saying. I was... I was you couldn't no tell. Fu- you couldn't tell. I had no fucking idea you what I was saying. You sold the shit out of it. Thanks, man. But, I, yeah, I really feel like making really shit racial-based dialogue just replacing black with orc doesn't suddenly make it new. Yeah, but if you were to replace, you know, autocorrect black orc, it would still be terrible dialogue. Yes. No one says, oh, he grew up with a black kid down at the blood. It's like, it's so expositional. Yeah, it's it's not good. It's not good, but it's, the, it's an early draft. It's an early There's draft. plenty for them to work on, okay? And I'll have a word with Max, you know. We're mates, so. Thanks, man. Tweet him about getting me as Fogteeth leader. Yes. Yes. And that's the voice I'll be doing. Makes perfect sense. Do you reckon they'll make this movie of Warcraft bombs? <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it's a Warcraft, de- Warcraft dependent, dependent film? film? It's time to end. Orcs have got to be in. Okay. All right. We've got to go now. We now have to leave you very yes. suddenly. We've run out of that. wine. Run out of wine. <laughs> got to get some more. But we'll be back next week and we'll be reviewing probably Anomalisa and possibly High Rise, actually. The, so that the episode is released the weekend that High Rise has just arrived in cinemas, which is very unusually timely for us. I know, right? We're like real critics now. Yeah, but, you know, that's not said in today. We may change our minds. The Witch is also out. So, well, we'll see yeah, what happens. We're gonna, we're gonna... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, we'll see what happens. Who knows? See you later. Goodbye.